Rabbi Hanoch Teller, who has been a guest of ours before here at JM in the AM. He is the author of 28 books. Who knows? Maybe it's more by now. Uh, there is a second edition of the book entitled Heroic Children, Untold Stories of the Uncomparable, uh, which we will discuss, and it's now available. You can go to his website, hanochteller.com. It's probably available in thousands of other places, and we have the privilege of having him here in our Lower East Side studio on a JM in the AM Tuesday morning here at the Nachum Siegel Network. Rabbi Hanoch Teller, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you very much. Morning, everyone out there. It is nice to see you. It's very mutual. It's been a while. <laughs> so this morning you took my advice. Move that drop closer. This morning you took my advice, and you visited and and my I, beloved Lower East Side and the Bialystoker Synagogue. Yes. And you walked in here saying it's interesting. I don't remember exactly what word you used, but it sounded like it, it was the word interesting that you are visiting or or you've just visited a place that you've written about in your books, but you had never seen it before. I'd never been in there. How did I, it make it into your books? I wrote about Rav Yaakov Yosef there, right. and uh, for those who remember, you'd have to be an insider for this, uh, Rabbi Lopiansky, right. I think he was the Gabbai Melistoker Shul. And so my two Rebbe's really, I mean, well, there's a couple in between, was Rav Nissen Alpert, who was right. certainly an insider of sure. blessed memory, and skipping a little bit, then Rav Aaron Lopiansky, who grew up in Lower East Side. His father was the Gabbai Melistoker Shul, if I'm not mistaken. Very interesting. And so I was reared, this is the milk I was raised on. And I finally walk in there, and it's 3D, and I, it's real life. I can feel the pews and the, the memories. A lot of history in there. And I'm running to show because it's, you know, parking and all that. I'm all running right. to show and I'm picturing these people in the winter, running in their ragged uh, shoes, going to this show, and uh, Yaakov Yosef giving it to Russia. All this is coming alive to me. It's, it was uh, surreal. Incredible. Rabbi Hanoch Teller is here. So... I mentioned 28 books. That sounds accurate, right? Uh, yeah, actually, you're pretty close. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I no, usually, I, I'm usually around the area. <laughs> no, no, you're not only close. It really is 28. However, this new book, we're calling it a new book, right. Heroic Children, which I'll talk about in just a moment. Sure. This is a second edition. Normal second edition means you made a few, you fixed up a few typos. Right. This is a very significant upgrade, a very significant overhaul. What happened was... The book did very well. I'm going to explain that, Pesrat Hashem. It did very well, but I neglected to cite my sources. It was meticulously researched, but I didn't cite the sources, and that prevented it from being respected in scholarly communities. So I spent two painstaking years, admittedly perhaps a little bit too long, not only citing the sources, but in, I was in the process already. You have in the back over 50 pages of explanatory endnotes, which explain so many things. That's why, as Michael Medved wrote, that this is, if you have to read one book on the Holocaust, this should be it. But you walk away, the stories are riveting. It's not like, oh no, Holocaust. And you understand things which you would never understand before, which are explained. I dealt with the questions. I'm teaching Holocaust 30 years. I'm involved in Yad Vashem over 30 years. Right. I know what the questions are, and they're all, they're all addressed in this book. And you could address all those questions through stories. Correct. And that is the best way. I think I've told you this once before. What is the most... I'm not hot seat. No, no. What is it? <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> you get the, what is the most famous story of the Holocaust? Anne Frank? Correct. Right again. Now, Anne's story is not a reflective story, nor emblematic. Right. Correct. She wasn't in the ghettos, Correct. wasn't in the camps. Wasn't she even in, overhead. Was not even in the country that's generally spoken about when right. spoken about the Holocaust. Right. She was with her family. There was a modicum of food. Right. And yet, and yet, because it's a story, it's easy to relate. Right. The reason my tour in Yad Vashem is unhumbly so popular is because, you know, Yad Vashem was created by the curators to be guided. And any time there are dozens of tours, 
And my, I can't believe it. These people are just unspooling data that the head cannot absorb. It's an infinite crime. An infinite crime going on in 15 countries, different regimes, different static statistics. So what I'm always doing is telling a story, a personal story, which then connects to what happened. And chances of people remembering that and processing it is much greater. Correct. Uh, And it's people have heard me there. Then they bring me out to their communities to speak about it. Uh, I was just now for the second time. There's an interesting factoid about this book. I was just now for the second time in Beaufort, South Carolina. Wow. (laughs) I didn't know you had an audience there. (laughs) But I had a bigger audience than I have anywhere. Beaufort, South Carolina, there is a mega church. And the pastor got very friendly with me because of a tour of Yad Vashem. So I didn't actually speak in the church. I spoke in the social hall. But anyways, you know, on a Wednesday night, at 6 o'clock to have over 1,000 people were hanging, and they want to know more and more about the Holocaust. And then they brought me back just now again, uh, in April, to speak again about this. It's become a real facet of their life. So I had the interesting factoid that in Beaufort, South Carolina, there are hundreds and hundreds, uh, close to 500 books that have been sold on the Holocaust, which I don't know if you have that in Queens. Or right. Staten Island. Right. Uh, actually, I haven't this one particular book. And, then, and another interesting thing is that Beaufort is the headquarters that Marines are divided by the Mississippi. East is in Paris Island, which is Beaufort, and the west is San Diego. So uh, a general in the Marines was so taken by this, he's assigned all his platoon leaders. It's now curriculum in the Marines to read heroic children for platoon leaders. Uh, because they're going to gain what from it? A marine leader will, will, how will it enhance his experience as a leader? Because this book, besides being, it does portray the horror of what occurred, but it's mostly a story of hope. How these children going through situations we, we cannot even fathom were able somehow to come through this, wipe off the dust off their shoulders, and lead these fantastic lives. Could it also be that they're, they're, you're describing this book, what some people have gone through and, and continue in some ways to go through, and the marines feel, their leadership feels, they have to pass on to their to their uh, subjects, the, that it's their responsibility to care for people around the world who are in situations like this? And that's absolutely. Uh, many of them actually told me that they're, because many people going to the Marines, I guess, are from military families, that their grandfather had liberated a camp. Right. And they had always heard about this. Right. Now, all of a sudden, the whole story came now together. Now they can understand what they were liberating, what was going on there, right. and why they were so vital in Jewish history, There's a th- footnote. Their, their grandparents. There's a footnote in the book, uh, when Ordorf, which was the first camp that was liberated by the Americans, uh, General Eisenhower came there together with General Patton. Now, Patton's nickname was Old Blood and Guts. Right. He was not known for his Edelkeit. Right. And he just went behind a building and was throwing up the whole time. He just could not process what he was seeing, what he was smelling. And at one point, there was a former Nazi guard who was their tour guide and they threw out the camp, and he spared them nothing. At one point, one of the GIs accidentally bumped into this tour guide, the, the, the SS officer, and out of nervousness, he giggled, and Eisenhower froze him with a stare that could melt lava, and he said, to, and that could freeze lava. And he said to him, uh, "Are you still having a problem hating them?" And then he said the following: "It is said that the American soldier doesn't know what he's fighting for. I want every soldier possible to come here and see at least what they're fighting against." Unbelievable. Rabbi Chanel Teller is here. The book is called "Heroic Children: Untold Stories." of the unconquerable, um, is, the, is the Holocaust, and this is going to sound terrible the way I'm asking it, is it your favorite subject to lecture on? If someone said to you, you know, woke you up in the middle of the night and said, okay, time to deliver a lecture, would mm-hmm. it in fact be one of these stories, one of these themes? Uh, actually, when I speak about the Holocaust, which I do all the time, I'm going to be speaking, uh, God willing, regarding the Holocaust on Shavasar Batamu's 
This Sunday. This Sunday. Yeah. I'll be speaking up, I think it's 2 o'clock in Luxor, it's up in the, in the Catskills, sure. and it's 7.15 in B'nai Yashurun and Teaneck. Oh, boy. So we Leave uh, a lot of time between places <laughs> on a Sunday at the Catskills, you know. Right. <laughs> Tell me about it. I think I'm hoping I'm coming back in the right direction. <laughs> Not really, <laughs> but okay. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So those uh, two appearances are both, Walsh of Utama is appropriate, obviously. Correct. And those are, so but the answer to your question, my, yeah. not yet. Uh, is it a, sub, a favorite subject? It's a subject that humbly I'm competent to speak about. I speak about it often. I lecture about it often. So I'm able, and what I convey is material generally people are not familiar with, and I think people should be familiar with. So I like when you, no one likes to say over old hat. Right. Uh, probably my favorite subject is uh, Gedoli Yisrael, because I feel it's also a subject that's not well known. It's very inspiring. You know, rabbis get up and they tell something, and most people's heads, it all gels together. You know, they don't remember, they may remember, the delivery was interesting, but not even the content, but the gedolim, because also it's very story intensive. But when I talk about the Holocaust, there are aspects that are so fascinating and give people so much hope and direction. And there is something which I call a Holocaust perspective, which I have. Uh, it sounds awfully dreary, but actually, uh, I don't regret this. There are people, I have colleagues who are very Holocaust uh, intensive, and... I pity them and their families because it's just a little bit too much in the dumps. But I like the fact if the weather is lousy, I don't bellyache. If food isn't so fresh, I don't start uh, complaining and kvetching because I think right. to myself, when I see the snow, I picture hundreds of people marching you know, without shoes in the snow. And these things come to me and it makes me not take life all that seriously. That's a fringe benefit. Right. Uh, the point of the book is to give people an awareness because it's hard to read about the Holocaust these stories of nine children told in their own voices. Let me go back one step. When the war was over, people obviously wanted to tell the stories and how they had suffered. The one people who had not spoken, and to this very day, are the children. And their story went untold. So I think that's the final frontier of Holocaust literature. So what I did was I was determined. I traveled around the world to gather their stories. And the fact of the matter is, and I'm sure you're familiar with this, there are many children who survived the Holocaust went through great efforts, mental stamina and gymnastics, to forget what they had experienced. And they were so successful when it became more in vogue in the 1980s to talk about it. At that point, their mind had played tricks on them and their stories were not accurate. I could not afford a story which wasn't accurate. So I had to sift through, because I am a little bit knowledgeable about this, till I, find not, till I found nine stories which is very reflective of the entire Holocaust kingdom. Man, woman, religious, not religious, different social economic backgrounds, and this story really portrays a good idea of what... And you read this book, what, in the process you'll understand what Gestapo policy was, you'll understand how the Nazis did what they did, how they were successful. And the book has very uh, significant index. Under the topic of deception, there's probably 50 entries, because they did everything from verbal camouflage. I mean, the very term showers. I mean, it right. was so unbelievable. Right. In a word, it was unbelievable. Right. The last word they heard, if they could hear it, was Ivan turn on the water, right. uh, deceived to the very end. So deception played an important role, and this book portrays very much all these aspects of the Holocaust, including, like we said earlier, the take-home messages. I assume you visited the concentration camps in Europe. I have. Um, an experience you would recommend or would not recommend? Uh, this is controversial. Uh, I know. I have <laughs> a certain... I grew up with a certain point of view because of what my parents felt about it, and... I've adjusted as I've gotten older. I'm curious what you have to say. I'm, uh, I'm not really in favor of it. Right. Uh, I'm not in favor of it because, you know, after Gerush Farad, the rabbi said 500 years we shouldn't go back to Spain, and we observed that. Right. And now, like, you can't stop going to Poland, not to mention the recent 
uh, decision of the Polish government, which mm -hmm. is a, a total slap in the face to the memory of the victims. Right. And I'm not happy, please, giving all these money to anti-Semites. However, I must, as a footnote, say it is a fact. Uh, one of my sons-in-law, Yehuda Warblowski, uh, is very... Torah Correct. Hmm. He is uh, very adamant that this trip is vital because there is a significant minority. I don't know if it's 20% or 40%, but a significant minority of kids who go there, and it's life-warming well, for the 20 better. or 40 is rather, rather significant. Yeah, very significant. And right. it makes a difference, which school can't do Both to them. Both men and women. Men and women. I mean, Dar Chabina, right. when a school where I teach, right. they, that's part of their curriculum. They right. go there. Uh, and much better if it's a school who's going there right. as opposed to joining these right. groups. Right, and with the proper guide, et cetera, as, Correct. as you'd recommend. Right. So I personally... I'm not favorite. I'd say it's much easier to go to Yad Vashem right. and, uh, and get the education, or even better, read this book. Right. Get to for a deeper understanding. But uh, Poland, I have problems with going there. I wouldn't recommend it, but, right, but it's people reality. gain a lot from it. Right, people are going constantly. Uh, nine stories. Nine stories can tell an entire, an entire history of a decade of Judaism. Uh, correct. It's certainly from the perspective of children talking right. in their own voices. Uh, but these children were, some of them were with their parents. Some of them were on their own. Some of them grew up overnight. And some of them remained children. I have a story of uh, three kids in France that were running for their lives. And as they were running, they got to wine country. And they came across their childhood heroes, the trois musketeers, the three musketeers. And they're running for their lives. And they started swashbuckling with each other because they were children. And just, they lost themselves. And then all of a sudden, reality hit them. They had to run for their lives. They, they kept on running. But they'd stopped when they saw the statue of the Three Musketeers. Unbelievable. Um, I assume it's available everywhere. And, Actually, no. Right and, now, and your it is website so new. would be a good resource, right? Right now, it's place. the only place available. The only place. The only place. If uh, the date of the book is June 19, 2018, it's just the glue is still wet. Uh, it will be coming. It's getting onto the boat. So uh, hopefully, it'll be here at the beginning of the three weeks. But right now, the only way to get it with a very, very significant discount is hanochteller.com. That's H-A-N-O-C-H, teller.com. Uh, and anybody from around the world can order it through that website correct. and have it shipped to them, no matter what country they're Free and free shipping. Mm, very nice. Hanochteller.com, hanochteller.com. Tuesday morning at JM in the M with Rabbi Hanoch Teller in studio. Uh, yeah, the, you mentioned the three weeks, and I, again, you know, people tend to, during the three weeks and nine days, you know, gravitate toward literature like this, and, and they want to... Uh, not only learn stories of the Holocaust, but they themselves will transmit stories to their campers, to their children, to those they come in touch with, uh, they they come in contact with. It's a, um, um, it, it, I mean, it's an opportunity this to is, really give to really give a curriculum to those who are. I don't want to say teaching it because that might be an insult to you because you're the ultimate teacher <laughs> of this, but but those who are transmitting it, let's say. So if someone you know, if if a if a camp counselor or division head for argument's sake, you know, wants to present during the nine days or on Tisha B'Av itself something along this theme, this might be a good place to start. I would suspect it is. Yeah. Uh, people tell me, I don't think I coerce people to buy the book, but people who get it tell me they, they're so grateful. They saw this, and finally a grandparent says, I was able to let my children understand, my grandchildren understand. Or people told me, I finally understand my grandparents or my great-grandparents. Or finally I understand because they didn't understand before. And I mentioned earlier, it's not just telling the history of what happened, but also portraying the lessons that have been derived. It's a remarkable thing. There's a term which I'm sure you're familiar with, a term in Yiddish called Rebegelt. Rebegelt means literally tuition, by way of example. Right. If you park your car in front of a pump 
as it's called in Brooklyn, or fire hydrant. Fire hydrant, yeah. You get, <laughs> and you get a $150 fine. It's such frustration. But if you learn a lesson from this, you'll never park in front of a fire hydrant. That $150 became tuition in fire hydrant school. So we never experienced anything more painful than the Holocaust. And yet and yet we haven't learned a thing. It makes me crazy. So in the book, there are very significant lessons. It's done subtly, but lessons to derive. And finally, a rebigel from all of this. Well, and, and how do you conclude that we haven't learned a thing? Like, what, what evidence from today would tell us that we just haven't learned the lesson? Of well, for world? example, you would imagine after the Holocaust, uh, for, um, the Einsatzgruppen, the special death units, were formed by four different, four different groups, A, B, C, or in German, I, you know, different, four different groups. Each one was headed by a doctorate in philosophy, no less. They were highly educated people. They were architects, school superintendents, engineers, so this tells us education does not make a moral person. Right. As I ask my students, who would you imagine is a more moral individual? A flautist for the Philadelphia Concert Symphony or a sewage cleaner? And the answer is, they're both the same. Having a nice job or being a nuclear physicist doesn't make you a more moral person. It makes you an educated person. You have to be taught to be educated. So you would imagine after the Holocaust, being good Morality would be a subject they would teach in schools. It hasn't changed. In schools, they teach physics. I'm, I'm, I'm all for, all, so I'm all for right. knowledge. They'll be taught physics and civics and geography and history and foreign language. That will make you educated. It will not make you a good person. We don't necessarily relate to this because we who have a shackle of education, a shiv education, or we come from a, a, a good family. From, the day, from day one, from the get-go, we're taught how to be a moral person. Mm -hmm. But if it's not taught, the default is, Yetzir lev adam ra minurav, person by birth, is evil. In other words, the Nazi was not aberrant. The moral people are. In my tour in Yad Vashem, uh, it begins with the path of the righteous rent, path of the righteous Gentile. Those mm -hmm. people who risked their lives and that of their families to save others. The majority of them were likely not academics. They were not academics. Right. Many, many of them were illiterate. Right. And then there's another path which goes into the bowels of the Holocaust. And I always say that these two paths are parallel. It's a race against time. Because the default is not, I ask the question, you know, you go into a, the house of an Avrech or a younger man, you'll see on the wall a picture of Rav Moshe Shapiro right. or Rav Moshe or, or the Stipler, or you name Rav Cook, any guttle. Right. Why don't you ever see a picture of a Brussels sprout? Now think about it. Brussels sprouts are squeaky clean, never murdered, raped, extorted. They're so good, but they were never tempted. Right. We admire the people, have the same tests we have, same, walk the same streets we walk, breathe the same air, and they ascended. So the, lay, the, the default of a person, the same hammer which could build a hospital could also build a gas chamber. So we admire the people who took the challenge and ascend. Those were the righteous Gentiles. That, those were going in the right path. But the default was, it's a person by nature, the default is bad. And so that's a lesson that's not been learned. If you don't teach people to be moral, it's not going to happen. What do you do with very young people? And I mean very young people who are curious about the Holocaust, I don't know, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old before Bar and Bat Mitzvah? Uh, we said very young. 11, I think, is really competent to handle most everything. And according to Chazal, so is a 9-year-old. The rules of Yad Vashem, I think, under 10 are, under, are not allowed in. It's just, it's, it's not worth the effort. It's not, right, probably more damage could be done than what's productive. You have, everything has to be age appropriate. And we also know you have a 14-year-old going on 28 and you right. have a 20-year-old going on 10. So that a parent has to know best uh, uh, my children, because we talk about it uh, at the table, I think they're pretty familiar with it, uh, even at a young age. Interesting. Rebecca Hanoch Teller is here. The website, hanochteller.com, H-A-N-O-C-H, teller.com. Correct.
And that is the best place, uh, the only place, as you indicated, to get the brand new second edition of Heroic Children, Untold Stories of the Uncomparable. Um, Michael Medved with a very nice approbation, as you mentioned earlier, and plenty others as well, including Rabbi Lau, Rabbi Sachs, or Martin Gilbert. Uh, he's a pretty uh, distinguished yes. historian, isn't he? <laughs> I'd say that's criminal levels of understatement. He's got some st- street cred, as they say. Yes. <laughs> I don't know on the college campuses if they use that expression in the world of academia. Um, and you'll be able to uh, to explore these stories and learn a tremendous amount about the uh, Holocaust. And uh, you mentioned the research that had to be done in order to, I don't know, authenticate or to... Um, br- cite. Right, to, to cite and bring this to the standards that you wanted it. Um, is that nearly not as much fun as when you're just writing storybooks and you know and getting the stories that you hear out there to the public? Well, fun is not exactly the most appropriate word in this whole. I always mm-hmm. think that when it comes to the story compilations, you are having fun presenting. Oh, there's them. no question. If I don't so, cry at a sad part and I don't laugh, so is at this part, different? Well, here I'm talking about extremely sad situations. These are children on their own, and they were against the Nazi monster, and they were in the in the heart of the beast. So it's so, not a storybook. Well, it's definitely a book of, it's not right. a story book, but right. it's a story. Each story begins upon when the Nazis invaded their region, and it mm-hmm. ends upon their liberation. So it's very much a story. However, uh, these stories, I mean, when I heard these children, I mean, when I interviewed them, they were in the groups of old age. When I interviewed them, I saw it in their eyes flashing back to their, these terrified youngsters. And it was really riveting hearing them tell the story. So writing the story and bringing it to life was a very, very important thing. Uh, the teed work, the spade work, going through the sources, and, and it's quite, I mean, the bibliography is pages and pages and pages and pages and pages, mm-hmm. but I was very helped, and I work in Yad Vashem, and there's scholars there that are extremely knowledgeable, and everyone has their own realm of expertise, and we were able to get it together. How does somebody take advantage of your tour at Yad Vashem? Do they go to the office and say, hey, mm-hmm. I want to reserve Rabbi Teller? Is that how it works? Uh, that's one way. Usually people can refer to me through my website. Ah, and there's, make, there's one portal in the website for Yad Vashem. And they make an appointment there uh, for their group. Uh, and I asked this to Rabbi Weinrib when he wrote, a, when he wrote the, the Kinnis book, and um, I hope you don't mind if I repeat it uh, in this forum. Uh, I, I said to him, what's it like, you know, sitting in the sukkah on Cholomoy Tzukkis and, and Eichas on your mind <laughs> and sitting Purim at the Suda and, you know, Kinnis is going through your head because you're working on a book. Is it sometimes difficult to to leave this behind as I hold this book, to leave this behind and, and go and have a normal Shabbos or Yadav? <laughs> uh, it, it is. I mean, I, people ask me how I'm able to give a tour, and I put a lot of passion into the tour, and then go out and lead a normal life and, right. uh, and go running and do do all the other things that I do and go teaching and not necessarily teaching. Holocaust. And having fun on Purim. <laughs> yeah. And the answer is, is that uh, I try, you know, I focus when I get into one place. This is what I'm thinking about. Uh, again, I've told you I have colleagues that they just their life is the Holocaust. Right. That's not where I'm holding. Right. I said I, the advantage I think I have is that I don't take life all that seriously because I'm aware of. I feel moronic and misilicon idiotic complaining about things which are really right. not significant. But otherwise, yeah, I'm able to make that division. Yeah, I was once complaining about airline food and uh, made the mistake of complaining to my father, who informed <laughs> me that when we had one engine going across the Atlantic, we were just sitting and praying we'd actually make it safely. We were not that concerned with what they were serving on the plate. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> <laughs> it's all about perspective, right? That is correct. To say the least. Uh, go to the website, everybody. Information about all of this, HanochTeller.com, H-A-N-O-C-H, Teller.com. The book is in its second edition. Really, right now, the only place to get it is the website. You'll find it in stores as the three weeks gets underway, starting this coming Sunday. The book entitled Heroic Children, Untold Stories of the Uncomparable. Of the Unconquerable. And the 28 works, uh, I recommend that when you go to those stores, 
don't only pick up the uh, the brand new Heroic Children's Second Edition, but pick up some of the previous twenty eight. Uh, many of them are extremely entertaining and fun. You have good taste, and you know me. <laughs> I'm all about the entertainment and fun. Simple as that. Rabbi Teller, I appreciate you being here. It must uh, be interesting knowing that Rav Moshe Feinstein, Rav Henkin, and others walked on this block that oh, you, you just that you me? just walked. Oh, you must be interesting because oh, I take gosh. it for granted being here so many years, but. But they, who I just mentioned, and Rav Alpert, of course, your Rebbe, was yeah. right in front of this building many, many times. Unbelievable, unbelievable. And I, I, I got to, when Israel's, Israel, Jerusalem's 15th uh, anniversary of liberation, yeah. 1982, right. there was a big deal for this anniversary, and they had a uh, prize, which was an essay, which we won. And I wrote about what it's like to walk the streets of Jerusalem, what it's like to walk down Rechov Rachel Imenu, Rechov down, you know, all these streets and what it means to me. And so and I said, once I was on the heart seal and someone asked me, uh, do you, don't you, and they said, this is not where King David is buried. They said, this is where Crusader was buried. He said, I can't, I don't know. I can tell you one thing. David and Yonatan played marbles over here. That's good enough for me. That we know for sure. Yeah. Amazing. All right, tell her I thank you. Hope the three weeks will be uh, even more uh, of an inspiring period for people as they explore this book. Heroic Children, Untold Stories of the Uncomparable. Thank you for visiting us today. Rabbi Hanoch Teller on a very special Tuesday morning broadcast. You're listening to JM in the AM.